Hi, David here, coming to you again from the Papa PhD headquarters. This week on the show, I bring you a very lucid and pleasant conversation about how the graduate school experience could improve with Monica Granados, Policy Advisor at Environment and Climate Change Canada. A lot of the conversation revolved around a subject that I'm passionate about. How can we change the PhD experience so it works for all candidates, effectively launching them towards successful academic, but also non-academic careers? During our conversation, Monica shared her reflections on this issue, basing them on her own experience going through her PhD and her postdoc. The point of a PhD cannot be to become a professor. It can be an option. The PhD is an amazing time where you get to ask really cool questions and meet a lot of other passionate people who are interested in asking questions and you learn how to do research and how to t think through problems and think through experiments to try to answer those questions and it's learning how to do those things. That's what you're doing in a PhD. Your outputs are these papers because that's what academia tells you that those are the outputs that should be, which for the record are not even the best way for us to be communicating what our results are. But it's, it's you learning those elements. That's the output of a PhD. That's what you're getting, getting into a PhD to learn. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD, this week with Dr. Monica Granados. Monica Granados is committed to making science more open and accessible. She is Open Science and Data Policy Advisor at Environment and Climate Change Canada. She is on the leadership team of pre-review, working to bring more diversity to peer review. She's a frictionless data fellow and is on the board of directors of the Canadian Open Data Society. Welcome to Papa PhD, Monica. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Monica, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, we, you know, we've talked before. Um, you were part of, of this program uh, that I, uh, I'm in contact with, which is Trace McGill. It's a program at McGill University uh, that is trying to understand where graduates go and what they do once they, they finish their, their PhD um uh, at now the latest version it's it was uh, focused around McGill University uh and um and yeah I, I I'm really really happy that uh, you took the time and accepted to be on on Papa PhD to talk about your experience about your journey and um to talk about this this question of careers after the PhD which uh, can you know uh, can leave some people anxious uh you know fearful of um, you know of of are they going to fit in uh, in a, 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 an environment that is not academia and and we're going to talk about that today so thank thanks a lot um and to begin uh i would want to i'd like to ask you if you could just talk a little bit about how you got into science what was your journey in in academia uh up till uh, yeah up to your phd and how you know how how that part of that chapter of your life uh uh went let's say 
Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, I think I've, I was always one of those kids that was interested in science. You know, I'd like being outdoors. I'd like looking under rocks. I like mm. animals. And so I think I always knew I was going to do something in science. Um, I think originally I wanted to be a medical doctor. Um, mm. But when I was doing my uh, undergrad degree at the University of Toronto, I had this opportunity to do a um, uh, so, uh, sort of like a, a field course or, or like an internship at the Algonquin Park uh, Research Station. So it's uh, it's on Lake Opiongo, it's the Opiongo Research Station. And um, sort of getting to discover that you could ask questions about the natural world and have the forest and the lake sort of be the place where you can do experiments and ask questions kind of shifted my interest into ecology. And so um, getting that exposure um, to the concept that this could be a career, that your office could be, you know, a boat uh, was really <laughs> compelling and uh, started following that, that, uh, that trajectory. So I did um, completed my undergrad degree in ecology. Then I did a master's degree also at the University of Toronto um, sort of asking similar questions. So I was working with uh, fish, looking at um, whether some areas that have been uh, degraded were recovering in, in different ways to measure. So it had a really big uh, quantitative aspect, but I was still, you know, I, I got to do some neat field work on the Detroit and St. Clair rivers where we do some uh, electrofishing. And that is where mm -hmm. you um, sort of send uh, electricity into the water and it stuns fish. And then you have to like pick them up uh, and measure and you weigh them and then you throw them back in. So just getting to do sort of that kind of like cool thing and like that's your job being outside on the water was really neat. Um, then I transitioned to doing a, a PhD at McGill University. So I'm still studying uh, aqua uh, aquatic ecology, um, mm -hmm. but moved a little bit more into food webs. So studying what eats what in an ecosystem and like mapping those different interactions and also doing experiments to, to change those interactions, like what happens when, when you change those interactions. Um, and uh, yeah, did a, did some studies where like I worked with mussels and I worked with fish and I worked with crayfish. I got to do mm. some really neat experiments in the Magdalene Islands, which I didn't even know existed until I went out there. They're off the coast of PI and they actually belong to Quebec. So when you mm -hmm. go out there, you're actually in Quebec. So I, um, yeah, really got that, you know, that notion of got getting to work outside and, and uh, having again the, you know, lakes and and rivers and oceans being the place where you can ask some really neat uh, questions. And, um, you know, during this whole time, uh, I always had the intention of doing, starting up my, my own lab, you know, like mm -hmm. I, the next thing I was going to do is do a, a, a postdoctoral fellowship and then, um, you know, start looking for, for positions. Um, but as that, like, um, you know, my, time to complete my, my PhD sort of was drawing to, to a close, you know, and you start to sort of more realistically think about what the next steps are. I uh, coincidentally also was starting to get really interested in what we call open science. And mm -hmm. so um, it's the, you know, it's this idea that the way that we've been trained to do science is often very close. So, you know, we keep our results secret until we publish them. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep our methods really secret until we publish them. 
And then when we do publish them, we often publish them in these journals that require a subscription to access. And, you know, it's kind of this, you know, <laughs> I think people will ask a question like, you know, like, when were you radicalized? And for me, for open science, <laughs> you know, it was when I was confronted with this question that, you know, we are asking these questions about the environment, you know, in ecology, and we're trying to understand it better for for humanity and for people and for Canadians, but then we don't give them access to this information. Like mm -hmm. we don't give them access to, to the journals and we also don't make it interpretable or like accessible, like understandable to Canadians mm -hmm. as well. And I thought, you know, I think this is something that I want to work on. You know, how can I, as a scientist, make my work more, uh, more open and accessible? And so, yeah, during the, as, you know, uh, I was finishing my PhD, I started making more and more of my uh, research methodology open. So, like, my, okay. um, everything, like, my entire, like, a couple of my manuscripts are completely what we call a reproducible. So they have code and data associated so that, you know, if you wanted to reproduce the manuscript and the results, like at least the analytical results, you could, you could do that for my manuscripts. Okay. They're all available open access, meaning that you don't need a subscription. Um, and so I started no doing workshops. That's what's that? There's no paywall. Right. Okay. Okay. And I started to um, do workshops for other scientists to try to teach them like this is okay. probably the way that we should be doing we should be doing science, um, even if the rewards are not favored to practice science this way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I think at, at the course of um, my uh, postdoc, so then I, I went to complete a postdoc at uh, the University of Guelph with Kevin McCann. Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, was like this was sort of my dream supervisor, because he, he worked on a lot of the questions that I was asking in my PhD. But he also mm -hmm. sort of gave me the autonomy to, to, to work on, on, on what I what I wanted. Um, and yeah, I was at this sort of like fork in the road where I was like, do I continue in down this academic path and just, you know, try to keep publishing and to look for academic positions. And I was I was applying for academic positions. And, um, you know, I was also finding that at night I was working on uh, open science initiatives. So I was working on, you know, like de delivering workshops or um, I started working with um, pre-review. So it's this that non-for-profit organization that you mentioned yep. in, in my biography who works towards um, trying to make science uh, more open and peer review more, more open and, and, and equitable. And so I was, you know, sort of starting to find that um, I was increasingly spending more time on open science work <laughs> than on, you know, publishing papers on food webs. And then there was, a, you know, serendipitously, there was a position that came up through the MyTax Canadian Science Policy Fellowship mm -hmm. in open science. And so they were looking for a fellow. Um, this program is designed to take people from academia into like a policy shop in the government okay. of Canada. And it was specifically on this thing that I was really passionate about. And so, um, you know, I knew that if I took this position that I had to then keep going down this path. Mm -hmm. um, I think academia is very unforgiving that if you're not continuously publishing um, if I took a year off of publishing and doing science, that like I probably it would be really hard to continue down an academic mm -hmm. path. And so, yeah, faced with that decision, I was like, I'm going to apply for it. And 
um, when I was selected, I, I went for it. I decided I'm going to go see if I can go make science more mm. open. I love food webs. I love science. I always wanted to have my own lab, but I thought that I could have a bigger impact in the world working mm. on open science. And that question, how did that opportunity arise? Were you also looking at these types of postings? Uh, you know, how, how did you get to learn about this, this opportunity? Yeah, actually wasn't planning on applying to it because I had an additional year of funding. So okay. I, I had, a, I had a, um, a scholarship from the government of Quebec to continue for an additional year um, at the University of Guelph. But I think I was just scrolling on Twitter. I followed my tax because they um, also funded part of my postdoctoral fellowship because I did like the first year of my postdoctoral fellowship was with the Wildlife Conservation Society. Okay. I started to get a little bit of a taste for policy through that uh, postdoctoral mm -hmm. fellowship. And so, yeah, I was just I followed them on Twitter and they're like, well, this Canadian, my Canadian science policy program. And so I just, I clicked it kind of on a whim to see what projects were available. And when I saw that open science project, I was like, I think this, I think you should go see about this. Yeah. You should see if this is the way, um, the way that you should, what you should do for, for your career now. Um, mm. It was so, too good a fit for your profile that you could not ignore it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and I knew, I knew when I, I, I still remember, because actually we were, I was at a workshop. Um, with my lab at the at the University of Guelph, and we, you know we were working on on some collaborative papers, and I remember sitting on the couch, like looking at that tweet and knowing, you know, if you go and apply for this, your life will be different. You will go mm -hmm. down a different path. And I think I always thought I, you know, the the vision that I always had when I was in grad school, you know, is the the vision I think that most people do because they're surrounded by other professors, and that is like at one day I'm going to just I'm going to keep applying to positions and uh, I'll start my lab somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's a training that you get, not only just because there are professors around, but like the workshops that are available are to prepare you to put together an academic application, you know, something that, that describes your CV, your publications, your, um, your teaching profile, your yeah. research, <laughs> you know, like what, what sort of like your research plan is. And so I had all of that material prepared because that's, sort of what you're trained to do. Mm. Um, and then I, I knew that if, yeah, sitting on the couch looking at that, that advertisement, that that, that vision was going to change. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I have a question. Going back to your, your PhD postdoc times, uh, did you, at, at, you know, in, during a PhD, during postdoc, have the chance to maybe uh, you know, establish connections with other people in, interested in open science? Were there groups of, you know, were you just doing this on your own because of your own interest or were you able to also start maybe networking in that, uh, in that area while you were doing your research? Yeah, I, I actually was. And that's because I think the, the open, open science and like open knowledge communities are um, incredibly welcoming. It's really mm -hmm. is like a really tight knit community um, of people who believe in this, who believe that that you know knowledge is a is a is a right it's an inalienable right and that um by working to by working together you know we can change the culture of the way we produce knowledge the way that we communicate knowledge mm -hmm. and so yeah i was um you know i started um 
you know, my journey in open science, I, I first went to this workshop that was um, being held by the um, uh, uh, an ecological synthesis center, uh, NCs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after that, any sort of open science uh, conferences, like I think I then went to um, uh, the, I, I did a, a program through uh, Mozilla. So Mozilla had these open, an open leaders program. Okay. So again, it's sort of an introduction to how to be more open in the work that you do. And through that community, um, I was connected with more people and more people that were passionate. And that incidentally actually is how I was connected to pre-review as well. And so um, that also, I think, generated and fueled that interest. I think, you know, to, to, to your question of like, did you do this alone? I think it would have I'm not sure I would have pursued it if I I felt like I was in this alone. When I Mm -hmm. sort of found this community and found people that were equally passionate about it, 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 um, it encouraged me to continue on this Mm -hmm. path and to, to continue building this community. So um, yeah. And after that, I went, uh, the open con community is another great community that um, of people who are interested in making uh, knowledge and scholarship uh, and education more open. and yeah, there's a, there's, you know, there's like a core group of people that I, I see often at, uh, at conferences who are okay. all um, interested in, in just making knowledge and, and information more accessible. So, so the, the network, this networking uh, at the, at the, that you did at that stage still, still uh, is working for you today in a way you still are in touch with this, with this community and with these people in the work you do today. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that's probably one of the strengths of, um, me coming into this position is that I was bringing that community with me. You know, I'm okay. bringing the connections of like people at, at spark, for example, or, you know, people at the university of Toronto Scarborough that, you know, I had done work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed me to sort of make that connection to the work that, uh, that I'm doing with environment and climate change Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, these are, are communities and people that I continue to work with. It's very cool, and uh, you know, I'm thinking. I'm always thinking of the listener and of someone who might be doing the, doing their PhD, interested in 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 this, but f- you know, feeling maybe not uh, com- comfortable, or that they might not have the support of either their peers or their PI. How was you know? How, what was the outlook of people around you, of you taking interest in this and investing time in in this particular aspect? Uh, of open science which it's very cool because it's it's you know f- totally connected to the science but like you said in the beginning it's a behavior that is not rewarded uh, you know in, in and maybe you can talk about this, these what the, these rewards are but i, I imagine it's um, you know high impact publishing etc cetera, etc cetera. Right, yeah. um how was that you know how was that experience in in terms of the people who were really close to you be it you know, benchmates or your PI? Were they supportive? Uh, were they neutral? Yeah, that's a great that. question. And I and I think if I were doing my PhD now, it might be a little bit different because, you know, open science is, is kind of it's permeating growing. and it's mm-hmm. growing, you know, just even in like the number of preprints, for example, that are being um, submitted to, to um, places like BioArchives. So these preprint repositories, you know, they're, you know, they were exponentially growing during, during COVID. Um, and I'll see people who, you know, who didn't know about open science, I'll see them tweet about the preprints now. Right. So, um, but when I was doing my PhD, I think I was one of the few people that were, that was doing okay. open science. And so I think 
the, you know, the, my experience, I think at the time was that for my, you know, for my benchmates or my lab mates, they were very interested and open to, to learn about these practices and how they could integrate them. A lot of them were those who would come to workshops and seminars that I would deliver on open science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it came to my supervisor, I think that although I think that they were, you know, uh, supportive, they were more interested in sort of like the traditional outputs, you know, like, I, you know, I don't care that you're doing workshops as long <laughs> as it doesn't interfere with, with your outputs. And so Which the way makes that, sense in a way. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the way that I managed it was that like, as long as I was doing my work, um, that my, my work in terms of like publishing papers and TAing and, uh, you know, doing my research, then I could still keep doing, you know, the open science on the side. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where there could potentially be a problem. And that is because, you know, learning how to do science is really important. And I think one of the major things that comes out of your PhD, but what gave me this incredible career is this thing that I was doing on the side that wasn't being, <laughs> you know, recognized and that I kind of had to do it in secret. <laughs> and, and I think that's sort of the crux of what, you know, I think we should, we, we should discuss. And that is like, how do we build uh, an environment? How do we you build academic programs that allow you equal time for both and recognize mm. both? You know, it, I would like to see incoming graduate students having discussions about, you know, when, when they're outlining their work plan, you know, they talk about how many publications they want to do or like how many, you know, um, collaborations they want to be a part of, but also, you know, in their work plan, it should also be, well, I also want to learn, you know, how to code. And I also want to learn how to use uh, Adobe Illustrator. And I also want to learn about science communication. Um, and and having those conversations initially with your supervisor so that that becomes part of your program. You know, if I wish if I could redo it, that's what I would have done. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I felt guilty mm-hmm. that I was doing these things, even though in the end, that's <laughs> what gave me my career. Yeah. Yeah, that's the tricky the tricky part about academia. And we were talking about it before. It's such an, you know, the PhD and and. and you know research in universities are such an old tradition and it it's really difficult to to think of ways to change the culture that comes from so far far back mm-hmm. and from a time where uh, i've talked with with people uh, in in my the program that i was who are who are now managing the program my phd program from when i did my phd and they and they said they you know oh i knew that by getting into this phd i would become a professor and well it's not i'm sure it wasn't true in every institute in every department but the thing the thing the truth is that today there's many more phds coming out and there are less positions and well now with covid it's even it's different, even worse yeah problem problem altogether <laughs> there's but, negative positions now yes negative <laughs> it's crazy yeah. But uh, you know, I love this this discussion, and I think I hear this this discussion going on. Uh, and I've I've had discussions here at, at McGill in Montreal, and I see that departments are doing things, are 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 offering different skills training for for graduate students. Mm-hmm. You know, things are happening, but it's hard. It's like you know, stopping a, 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 lo- a locomotive that's mm-hmm. going in full speed is really really hard. And all these years, this tradition. It's hard to to kind of change it and shape it differently, but I think small things, uh, small steps are being taken, and the things like Trace McGill, 
which have this kind of more numbers and statistics, statistics parts to it, but also has this part of bringing the narratives like yours to uh, you know to the public and to you know prospective students mm-hmm. or students that are it's it's a great way to start uh, this movement of changing things. But I agree with you that that it's you you feel like you're uh, you're you know you're you're uh, distilling moonshine, you know, like in the night, in the, the dead of night. And, yeah. uh, and then during the day, uh, it's you, 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 you're the scientist, researcher, uh, <laughs> traditional, etc. And it, it shouldn't be, you should be able to go into a PhD knowing that you're going to grow as a, as a complete and whole person, which means yes, research, academic skills, but also, you know the the other skills that maybe interest you because of who you are or because of the objectives that you've traced for yourself uh, professionally which might not exclusively be the professoriate i agree right right and and it's something that that needs to come with like an agreement or or you need to be in agreement with your supervisor so that you're both Definitely. comfortable so that you know if i if i said like oh i'm going to go do this this workshop or this um you know um, you know, give a, give a talk somewhere on open science that I didn't feel like you said, like I'm, I'm doing distilling moonshine at night. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I understand sort of like, you know, something that's been brought up is the perspective of the, of the supervisor, because, you know, you're there to also like, you know, they're sometimes they're funding you, if you especially if you're not coming in with a scholarship, but they're also investing time in you. But yeah. I think that that yeah. perspective then also needs to, needs to change is like, what is this the student that is coming in? It's not cheap labor for me. Um, that's not the way that that supervisors or PIs should be seeing these students. It's um, I think there's does need to be an agreement of like what's the output that I'm going to get from my investment in the student, but also mm-hmm. recognize that that may have to that may have to change because you have to think about you know you're also a mentor to this to this individual coming through the program. Ah, the question of mentorship. It's an interesting one, and as much as I've tried to find the magic bullet to this holy grail of finding a mentor, it remains elusive. My experience talking with my guests on the show is that there's a lot of luck involved in finding someone that will play that role while you're in graduate school. Yet, as Monica mentioned, it can be a game-changer, especially if you're a first-generation graduate student or if you're part of a minority, for example. Given that Monica mentioned mentorship, I had to try and dig a little deeper into the question. I agree with you. Ideally, the PI would also be the person who champions you in a way as a growing young adult, depending on the age that you're doing your PhD also. But but it's, it's not possible for everyone. Just because not you know not uh, not all PIs are, PIs are alike. Not I don't think PIs still have a lot of training geared towards that That's side right. of things. Yeah, and time, which I like. I also sort of recognize you know from their perspective is that and they time kind for of, sure. Yeah, they want to get as as much as possible from 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 you, but also they want to um, you know they have other they they have administrative duties and exactly. they you know they also need to publish and they need to get grants and so. You know, and that's part of like I think also the 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 the, the system that that incentivizes this type of behavior as well, mm. right? Is that um, and there's no reason there's it's an artificial construct. It's an artificial construct that it, I think it is making academia um, not only like a you know a, not a very welcoming environment and often not safe, but also not mm-hmm. a very open environment too. Yeah, 
Now, in your case, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking with the, the networking that you did, these communities, this community that you found uh, outside academia in the open science world, did you find people who played this role of mentor for you? Because now I'm, I'm starting to think about the transition and that moment where you saw that Twitter, <laughs> that tweet, and it kind of things clicked for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst these people who are still who you're still in touch with, are there some that kind of uh, play that role of a mentor or at least of, of guiding you towards where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I would, I I think I had people in the open community, so I think I saw, um, you know, um, Nick Shockey, for example, from Spark. Um, and uh, Abby Kabunis Mayas as well from Mozilla. Um, these are people that I saw, um, you know, doing work to try to make a, a bigger community, a bigger open community. But also mm-hmm. people that I saw that had a career doing mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. things in, in, in open. You know, very much like the first time that I went out to Algonquin Park with a professor and saw that. This is a type of career that is possible. I think they also were role models for me because I saw that they were they had a career in doing a thing that I was that they're really passionate about, but that uh, that I'm also very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing I do regret is not having a mentor in that was an academic mentor. I think mm-hmm. that um, I um, underappreciated how important that is, especially if you are a first generation you know, um, student. So, you know, no one in my immediate family um, went to college, let alone a PhD. And so navigating that on your own can be really difficult. And a lot of, you know, a a lot of uh, luck and success will come to people who sort of are prepared and know sort of like the next steps. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't have that, that foresight. And I didn't take advantage of having a a mentor. And so yeah, that's something that I, I, look for now in my career um, in, in policy, but also recommend that a lot to graduate students is, you know, see if you can find a mentor, understanding that people have limited amount of time, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can find it in, in many different different places. But, you know, these mentors can tell you sort of what comes next and mm-hmm. prepare you for what comes next, um, especially if you're you're new to this environment. Yeah, and you can you know you can bounce ideas with them. If uh, if you feel lost, like you say, they can tell you what the next steps are probably going to be, and and make things smoother. <laughs> and uh, like you know, you you're mentioning, and me too. In my immediate family, I was the first one to to, to get you know to get to the PhD level, and I agree. Uh, it's you can. You can, you could, I could have gained a lot, and I also regret that that I didn't have someone like that. But I, in a way, that's why we're here today at the microphone to share this, to to you know, throw this idea out there, and so that listeners can can start thinking about it and seeing is there someone around me that when I you know when I talk to them, maybe it's not my PI, maybe it's not even someone in the department, but someone that when i talk when i talk to this person they they take interest in me they give me good advice and though that person could be there could be this mentor that and and if you you know talk with them you can you can make it more of a, a regular thing of okay let's let's meet once a month and talk about how things are going could be something like that 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, there's a mentorship program that's starting up at Environment and Climate Change Canada. And, and okay. uh, yeah, it's something that I'll be participating in now that, you know, sort of I, I recognize the importance of this. Yeah. Super cool. We can we can definitely, I, I can definitely share, if there's a link for that, I can share it in the show notes because uh, that's, that's super interesting. Now, uh, you know, I, th I think we talked about how you got to the transition. We talked about the, the moment where, you know, that made things kind of switch and, and, and brought you to where you are today. Uh, but I, I, I always like to to ask the guests, once you that idea was planted in your mind and that you started envisioning that for yourself, uh, you said you still had one year of, uh, of, of, of money uh, to, to do your postdoc. What emotions did you go through? Uh, how did you break it? You know, how did you break the news to uh, to the to the, the 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 principal investigator you were working with? How how did that go? Uh, and maybe also, how did your you know how do people around you react to kind of this this uh, uh, change of, uh, of a vector? <laughs> from, yeah. You know, to, from from being becoming a professor to well, you actually know, I'm going into this domain that I love. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, great question. Um, I think so. My PI, so Kevin, was incredibly supportive. I think he just thought he's like, yeah, I think you're going to be really good at this. Uh, you know, it's great. He he wrote me a reference letter for it. Like he cool. he was incredibly supportive. Um, uh, my parents were also very supportive because they just like, I mean, they don't really know what a professor is. They still think <laughs> I just work with fish. Um, so when they were like, great, a job that pays more money. Uh, excellent. Go for um, it. <laughs> where, where I think where it became a little bit, there was more variation was I think amongst my my peers, especially those that like did want to become professors. And um, I've still, even when, so because I, I recently transitioned from because the the MyTex uh, policy fellowship is like a is a is a one year term, mm -hmm. and I was recently successful in uh, getting a permanent position in a in a promotion. And I remember telling you know some of my friends about it. Um, and those that, you know, continued in academia and, you know, there was, you know, mixed responses. Some were like, mm -hmm. you know, very supportive and others were like, oh, are you like, how do you feel about that? Are you sure? And I think it's that, that you know, that element of, well, you, you didn't make it, you know, mm -hmm. and we're, we're mm -hmm. making it as being a, being a professor. And I think it's just because it's so ingrained in you when you do a PhD, you're surrounded by professors, you're going to become a professor. If you don't become a professor, it just meant like that you just couldn't make it. Yeah. You know, that like you didn't have the stuff for it. And so I think that that still is something that especially people who don't do, you know, because I do have friends that became professors and I have mm -hmm. other friends that did not. And amongst those that become uh, professors, I think it still feels like, um, you know, you, you you get a sense of like, of, yeah, of like a failure that uh, you didn't accomplish the thing that we are all trained to want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, to, to circle back to our previous conversation is like what needs to change is that when you start your PhD, when you're in your first year, that you're exposed to different types of careers that you can follow with a PhD. And um, because I still I still struggle sometimes with feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, even though I'm doing this thing that I really love, it's the thing I'm most passionate about in, in life. It's a, it's a permanent job. It's um, the, um, the, the pay is great. There's benefits. There's a pension. Mm -hmm. Like there's just so many <laughs> cool things about this job. 
that like, I still don't have a lab, you know, I don't have a lab yeah. and, I, and I'm not doing research and um, it's re that's still really hard to shake. I think as I, there's more distance between my PhD and, and uh, it feels less and less. Mm -hmm. but um you know when i get questions like oh are you like how do you feel about this thing you know with sort of the <laughs> intonation of are you settling yeah <laughs> and and i think we need to wash that from academia because yeah. the point of a phd cannot be to become a professor it can be an option mm -hmm. but i think it's it's this i the phd is an amazing time where you get to ask really cool questions and meet a lot of other passionate people who are interested in asking questions and you learn how to do research and how to think through problems and think through experiments to try to answer those questions. And mm. it's learning how to do those things. That's what you're doing in a PhD. Your outputs exactly. are these papers because that's what academia tells you that those are the, the outputs that should be, which for the record are not even the best way for us to be communicating <laughs> what our results are. But it's, it's you learning those elements that are, um, that's the output of a PhD. That's what you're getting, getting into a PhD to learn. Yeah, and, and uh, that can be put to use in so many different areas, so many different domains than just research and academia. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's what I'm, the message I'm trying to put out there with, with Papa PhD is it's, it's precisely that. But it's funny that, that you mentioned that, that people still ask you that. And I think it's, it'll go on because I, uh, in the episode one of, of the season, I uh, interviewed Chris Humphrey and he has yeah. been working for like 10 years with Jobs on Toast, just mm -hmm. helping people with this thing of, mm -hmm. of the transition. And he said, one of the things he said is people still ask me, shouldn't you be in Cambridge or Oxford having mm -hmm. a PhD? And he's now working in a, in a bank. Uh, she, he's, uh, he's working in a bank, um, in a sustainable bank in England and he loves his job. But the question still arises because of, because of the the fact that he has a PhD uh, in his uh, in his resume. Uh, so I, I think it's again it's a it's a culture. It's uh, the, the the that those three letters come you know you know come with a connotation and people associate a bunch of things with it. Mm -hmm. And but it's it's often you know you depending on if you're if you're in like you in, in ecology or me cell biology it's you know a white lab coat and goggles right. or whatever yeah right <laughs> but um now th this segues well into into the next question that i was going to go into which was so now that that you are doing what you do uh what do you feel um your this training and you kind of alluded to it just now but more maybe in detail, what did you bring from your PhD that you are using today? Uh, and I think part of it is the, the network and that also we mentioned before. But in terms of these skills, the, the, you know, what your job requires from you today, why, you know, why did, did the PhD uh, the, and, and the postdoc, you know, the, all, the, all the research work you did, how does it apply today in what you do? Yeah, maybe I'll, actually I'll split it up into two, like into like the, the skills that I obtain doing sort of the classic research um, that goes on during your PhD and then sort of the off the side of my desk things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, yes, yeah, as, as I alluded to, like I learned how to ask questions and how to do research and also how to translate research. And I use that every day in my work. 
So I keep up to date to the type of research that, you know, on a particular file that I'm working on, it tends to be a lot about open science. And so I read primary literature, peer-reviewed publications on open science and Mm. sort of what methodologies and what types of uh, implementations and instruments are working so that I can take that kind of information and um, integrate it into the recommendations that I give to senior management Mm. about open science uh, implementation and practices in uh, environment climate change Canada and and the government of Canada as a a Mm. whole. So um, yeah, being able to read peer-reviewed literature and understand that is is really important and and translate that. You know, I have you have to be able to read a complex uh, paper and then distill the important information and then transmit that information to um, to senior management. Mm-hmm. But I I also have a you know gained a lot of other skills during that during my PhD that maybe weren't explicitly part of the PhD, and that was um, I learned how to use Adobe Illustrator. And so I really got into design and I love, you know, designing posters and designing graphics and infographics. And I get to use that at work all the time. So because that's a really good way, infographics are a great way to distill complex information into something a little bit more simple and digestible. So I do that a lot of, a lot at work. I've, you know, done uh, a couple of uh, work both on open science, but on other, other topics as well for um, environment and climate change Canada. Um, my data analysis skills. So those are skills that sort of you pick up during uh, your PhD. And I, um, you know, we did some bibliometric analyses for, um, you know, sort of measuring uh, the progress uh, of implementation of implementing open science in the federal mm-hmm. government. And I did that all in a reproducible report in R markdown, right? So, <laughs> um, and writing. Yeah. You just, Right, writing re- reports uh, and writing, yeah, writing reports. I mean, the, the the way that you write is a little bit different in policy mm-hmm. than you, of course, you you would write, you know, a, a you know a, a peer reviewed paper mm-hmm. or an article, but um, you have to know how to you know how to how to write, but also how to communicate that effectively. And I, um, you know, doing other sort of science communication and and, and outreach. Uh, work was also really helpful during my PhD because that helps me distill information into something just more digestible. So now I'm simpler, not dumbing down, but just more digestible Um, Mm -hmm. because senior management is looking at a lot of different files at once and you want to make it as easy as possible for them to understand uh, Mm -hmm. the type of work that you're looking at. So um, yeah, it was both the, both the, the PhD gave me the opportunity to learn how to do research and do it well, but also gave me this like dedicated time that you probably will never get again in your life to learn stuff. I could just decide like, I'm going to learn Adobe Illustrator. And because you have this like flexibility in your, in your PhD to just learn and to like absorb and to read, I was able to, you know, get great skills in Illustrator and in R and Mm -hmm. in, um, Incidentally, as well in in communication. So, during my my PhD, um, I took my first improv class. So, so common mm-hmm. improv, and you know, I kind of sort of went initially just uh, as a distraction from work uh, at the you know at the lab, and ultimately, sort of, it became a, a a great hobby of mine, and you know, progressed through all of the levels, and then actually performed professionally 
and realized that like it was I was much better at communicating and listening because I'd gone through through improv. So yeah, there's the, your PhD is this incredible <laughs> dedicated time to learn things, and you shouldn't limit yourself to only learning how to do a PCR or how to do. Um, you know, Southern blots or whatever sort of methodological thing that you have to learn for your PhD. Like it's this great time to learn all of these skills that need to be recognized as an important element of your PhD by your institution, by your PI. Because for me, those were the skills, most of the skills that I earned or learned in my PhD were not explicit to my you know, my research. And those are the skills that are, is making me an effective policy advisor now. Yeah. Uh, Monica, we're reaching the end of the interview. And, uh, you know, before uh, I ask you to share how can, how people can, can find you, and I will share the link to the Trace McGill mm -hmm. narrative uh, that, that, that that's there from, from you. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I just want to kind of, take what you what you what we talked about and one one thing that really you know stuck with me uh although we talked about many different things is a community you just talked about being you know taking uh improv mm -hmm. uh lessons and and being and that's also a community that i'm sure that 100%. you did that with yeah and uh i i think it's one of the important very important things during the phd is not to stay isolated Uh, and that can be that that you can do, you know can prevent isolation by taking part in an activity that you love or that you're curious about, but also the other community, the open the open uh, science community. Uh, that that that's another way also to do it is to you know for other people it can be uh, it can be um, science policy for you know th there's many ways you can branch out from just the, the your peers at the lab and, and your pi and and do things that are more or less connected to your your science to your research but that will that will uh, allow you to to have maybe an outlet for your creativity your need to communicate or in in your case your will to make science more transparent and i think that's that's really really a very important point then i i, I I totally agree with you that we learn a lot during the PhD that we don't even suspect we do or we don't see it because it, it's come it, for us it's kind of a either it's a you know it stays in the background like learning a software that that you know uh, that can be used in so many other things like like Illustrator like you said uh, or um, or just the, the just the work ethic of you know, working this huge project for these many years and bringing it to, you know, conclusion, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of employers out there that will value that a lot. And, uh, and uh, apart from that, I, I, you know, I think just the, just the, the, the journey that you, that you said, this, this curiosity, this curiosity to understand nature, I think that's what brings all of us or most of us to a PhD, mm -hmm. be it nature or, you know, literature, history, we're curious. And not only we're just dilettantly curious, we want to really dig into this question. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a personality trait that most of people got getting into a PhD have that's very strong. And that's with, after, the, like, it's like, um, yeah, it's like, you know, when you put uh, 
clay into a into a kiln after all these years of being like cooked in a phd you come with very strong these are strengths that can be translated to any domain that you set your heart to and I don't know if you agree, but that, that's kind of what I'm getting from our conversation. And I think it's, it's, we, we talked, touch, you know, on many important things. But the message is give yourself options. Uh, and uh, the earlier you start networking and, and thinking of other possibilities, the easier it'll be later on to say, okay, this plan didn't work, but I have also this one. And, you know, it's actually pretty cool and I'm going to follow up on it. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I very recently wrote a Medium post with that. That was the title of the, it was like plan A, B, C, D. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you summarized it really well. And that's like, think about all these skills that you're, that you're gaining during your PhD and think about how you can translate that skill into a potential career and to think about mm-hmm. that early and to think about all those different plans because so much of success is luck. And if you have more plans, it's more likely that, you know, one of these plans is going to work out by, you know, through, through luck and chance, you know, you're going to try to, (laughs) you'll try to control as many variables as possible, but you know, there's, you know, there's that stochasticity that you can't, that you can't (laughs) control. And so make more plans. You have those, take the skills that you know, and make plans with those skills. I, I, I am hundred percent with you on that. Monica, if people want to, you know, find you. They 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 want to chat with you. Uh, they just want to learn more about you. Where can they find you online? Yeah. Um. So I'm a, on Twitter. Um. At Monsauce. So M O N S A U C E. And you can. I also have a website, MonicaGranados dot com. And you can Perfect. reach out uh, if you ever have any questions or want to get in touch through the through my website. And I'm I'm going to ask you to also maybe share with me those resources that you mentioned when we were talking about open science. I think it'd be cool to sure, of course, put them yeah. in the show notes too, yeah. so that if people are specifically interested in open science, they can go and find them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll send you the link to pre-review and OpenCon and Spark. Great. Monica, I had a great time. Um, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I did. I, I did. Yeah. Thanks I think for our listeners out. are... Well, it was totally my pleasure. I think our listeners are going to have a lot to to think about and uh, and a lot of clues to follow after listening to this episode. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Monica Granados. If you enjoyed it, you'll also like the episode collections I've curated for you at papaphd.com forward slash start. I'm starting to reflect on Season 3 of Papa PhD right now, so if you have a guest you'd like to suggest, or a theme for the season, or if you'd like to contribute to the show in any way, shoot me an email to david at papaphd.com and let's talk. And of course, if you're on Patreon or on Buy Me A Coffee, you can always drop by and contribute in that way too. Your support will be immensely appreciated. Thanks again for being a listener, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.